Hello, my name is Carol Shabrias, and I am obsessed with all things related to women leading in higher ed. We've all been through it, told we're too vocal or too mousy, too compassionate or too bossy. We all have had to find our way as we lead within a system that historically gives its accolades and promotions to straight white men. Meanwhile, women from all backgrounds are doing exceptional work teaching, mentoring, facilitating, guiding, and leading. And increasingly, we're finding and sharing ways to lead that allow us to integrate the demands of our rich, varied lives so that we and those we love and those we lead can thrive. Women are leading higher ed at all levels with big hearts and big brains. I'm here to share our stories, as well as practical advice for deepening and extending your own leadership practice. I'm so glad you're here listening to the Uplift Podcast. Welcome to episode 17. This is the last episode in September's Back to School theme. In this month's earlier episodes, I encouraged you to kick off the new school year by bringing purpose and joy to the work you do with others. But helping others really only works if you're also taking care of yourself. So I want to wrap up this Back to School month by taking a moment to focus on you. In particular, I want to suggest a way for you to reframe productivity through the lens of self-care. I found two definitions of self-care that I think are particularly useful for this conversation. First, Oxford references define self-care as the practice of activities that are necessary to sustain life and health. And second, Oxford languages define self-care a little bit differently as the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being and happiness, in particular during periods of stress. These definitions shift the notion of self-care away from things that might feel like splurges and luxuries, things like special facials or bubble baths or manicures, toward practices. Notice both definitions begin with the word practice. Practices that sustain and protect us. That first definition made me think about all the basic things we do literally to sustain life. We eat, we stay hydrated, we sleep. Every day we are already engaging in self-care as a practice of sustaining our life. And so in this framing, self-care isn't extra, it's not splurgy, it's not luxurious at all. It's actually something essential and it's something we already do. And if I take that as a starting point, that self-care is already part of our daily lives, then we can use the second definition to make space to include not just bodily functions, eating, sleeping, etc., but also our well-being and our happiness. So for me, things like walking the dog, spending time with my kids, reading for pleasure, which, oh, I miss so much, other basic fundamental activities that sustain our souls. And thinking of these things as practice gives them the heft of intentionality, which then lets us create a framework for thinking about self-care not, or at least not only, as taking a break from our days to do something special, but rather as a way of intentionally incorporating and integrating sustaining activities, whatever they are, sustaining practices into our days. Before settling on a definition, though, I want to layer in another aspect of self-care. 
This comes from Morgan Turner, who is a licensed social worker with the University of Washington Medicine. She describes self-care as anything that leaves you feeling enriched or nourished, as well as healthier, happier, and more empowered. So for today's episode, I want to blend those three sources and work with this particular definition of self-care. Self-care is engaging in intentional, life-sustaining practices that protect well-being, enhance overall health, increase happiness, and promote empowerment. And now I want to explore that particular definition of self-care within the context of the competitive and very busy world of academia, especially for women who are balancing leadership roles. In the last episode, I talked a bit about the history of the faculty role as an all-consuming vocation and how that history contributes to the cultural expectation, the current cultural expectation that pervades higher ed today, that all of us be always on, always working, or at least always available for work, and how that expectation is especially damaging for women and only increases, the damage only increases, as we step into leadership roles. Today, I want to explore that idea a bit more by putting the concepts of vocation and purpose and also busyness and suffering into conversation with the work of Rebecca Pope Ruark, especially her work on burnout. Her new book, Unraveling Faculty Burnout, just hit the shelves this week. I am still waiting for my copy to arrive, but I've been listening to her read excerpts from it on her podcast, and I'm really excited to get my hands on her book. I've dropped links to her book and to her podcast in the show notes. By the way, her podcast is called The Agile Academic, and I highly recommend it. It's got this nerdy, geeky component that I totally love where she takes the principle and process of agile project management and uses it to help faculty improve their productivity and vitality. Super interesting stuff. Okay, if you're listening to this podcast right now, though, you're likely working in or at least adjacent to higher ed which means you've personally seen and experienced our industry's culture of busyness. Rebecca Pope Ruark has devoted her recent research to showing how that busyness is actually counterproductive. Here's what she has to say, and I'm going to ask you to stay with me because I'm quoting three full paragraphs. In higher ed, we tend to think of productivity as outputs. Journal articles accepted, books published, grants written and awarded, graduate students amassed, And this version of productivity can feel like the proverbial hamster wheel in faculty life as we run in circles chasing the ever-moving target of enough. On the other hand, ecologically, productivity means the capacity, richness, and generative possibilities in a given habitat or area. When we think of productivity in this way, we allow ourselves to focus on what is meaningful, important, the activities that feed our curiosity and our energy, which ripples out into our research, writing, and our work with students and the community. The assumption that being busy is a measure of an active, successful academic is deeply flawed and tacitly encourages faculty to accumulate projects, service roles, courses, and students, often against our better judgment of what we can handle. We find ourselves exhausted and overwhelmed. However, busy cannot crowd out our sense of vitality when we do work that gives us professional energy, vibrance, and life. Vitality is a dynamic state of being driven by curiosity, care, and purpose. Vital faculty tap into this dynamism by taking on work that feeds that energy, but they also establish boundaries that allow them to pursue their focus. If we allow it, 
the job of being an academic can become a faculty member's sole identity within a system that values busyness, overwhelm, and single-minded focus. And when we can't live up to that idealized version of an academic, we often feel shame or a sense that we don't measure up. Well-being is more than the elusive work-life balance or easy self-care strategies like getting a massage or going golfing. Instead, well-being is a well-rounded approach to being physically and mentally healthy, feeling a sense of meaning in one's work, and actively managing stress by engaging in fulfilling activities and relationships outside of academia. I particularly like the way she sets self-care and busyness into opposition, with the recognition that vitality and healthy productivity are rich and generative. They are not exhausting, demoralizing, or dehumanizing. I love the idea that to be truly productive, we can be driven by our own curiosity as well as care and purpose, all while maintaining boundaries that protect our well-being by preventing us from being overwhelmed by meaningless busy work. I also super appreciate her willingness to call all this out and to say the hard stuff out loud. So I want to take all this, the definition of self-care as engaging in intentional life-sustaining practices that protect well-being, enhance overall health, increase happiness, and promote empowerment, and for women leaders in higher ed, also produces vitality by making space for curiosity and purpose. So I'm going to take all of that and set it in the context of this month's theme of getting the new academic year off to a great start. So earlier episodes this month discussed setting up your year for success by energizing the people you work with, by enhancing trust, and infusing purpose into your activities, whether you're teaching a class, facilitating a committee meeting, or holding one-on-one meetings with folks on your team. So much of that work focuses on what you can do as a leader for others. And so today I want to explore what you can do for yourself. I especially want you to make some space to explore this now while we're still kind of early in the semester before the typical workload of a typical semester leaves you feeling buried and suffering. As I was reading books and articles related to all of this, I came across an idea from Peter Bregman in his book, Leading with Emotional Courage. And the idea I want to share from that book is really simple. Invest in your future self. Ask yourself who you want to be, where you're trying to go in the long term, and then today, now, in the present, invest in that future version of yourself by doing things that will get you there. So I think about this in the context of what Rebecca Pope Ruark says and how much academia drives us to do work for external validation and also how we do that by accumulating outputs. And so for those of us who are driven to succeed, like we're living in that world Rebecca describes, we spend our careers investing in our future self through higher ed's version of productivity, through meeting other people's expectations and trying to do that at a frantic pace, which is what so often leads to this overwhelming sense of busyness and burnout. And so I'm wondering what would happen in our lives, like how would we think and behave differently every day if instead of all that... We invested in ourselves through Pope Ruark's idea of ecological productivity as richness and generativity that increases vitality and does not produce burnout. So obviously this would look really different for each of us. So I'm going to give you all an assignment, and that's to explore what this would look like specifically for you. I want you to spend a few moments thinking about your future self as a leader in higher ed. What kind of leader do you want to be? What do you want to be known for? How do you want to show up every day? What legacy do you want to leave? I'm going to be quiet for about 30 seconds just to give you time to come up with a few words or images or ideas 
that help you be clear about who your future self is and what that person stands for. Do you ever do that in class? Just wait in silence? God, it's so hard. It never gets easier. Okay, anyway, with that in mind, now I want you to think about the end of this academic year. So think about the time frame of next May or June or whenever your year is ending and ask yourself what you can do differently this year, either something you can start doing or something maybe that you're already doing that you can do more of so that when you get to next May or June or the end of your academic year, you're a little bit closer to the version of your future self that you're seeking. So what would that look like? And even more specifically, what can you do now, this semester, this month, this week, maybe even today, to help you get there? I want you to be very careful and gentle with yourself here because I don't want you to default to additive work. I don't want you to think about this in Hired's model of adding tasks or assignments to your already full life. Instead, I want you to reframe this through generativity and generosity by looking at what you're already doing. So this is the assignment. Um, I'm going to send you to your calendar. I'm assuming that you're listening to this episode while you're doing something else. You're multitasking. Maybe you're sitting at your desk. That would be awesome, but I bet you're not. If you're not, when you get to your desk, take a few minutes. If you're there, do this now and open your calendar and then do the following. Please look at your calendar for this week. Look at it for the next several weeks or look at it for the full semester you choose. But I want you to look at it holistically. I want you to look at what's taking up your time and attention on a regular basis. Ask yourself whether your life, as organized and represented by your calendar, includes activities that help you move closer to your future self. Basically, what I'm asking you to examine is whether you have space in your days to participate in the activities that are going to take you into the future that you want, that are going to leave the impact you want, the legacy you want to leave. I'm guessing many of you already have some of this in your calendar, right? You probably have scheduled time for writing or for research or for mentoring and guiding staff or for any of the other professional activities that help you become the person and leader you aspire to be. I'd also like you to explore your calendar with an earlier definition of self-care in mind. As a reminder, self-care is engaging in intentional life-sustaining practices that protect well-being, enhance overall health, increase happiness, and promote empowerment, and for women leaders in higher ed, also produces vitality by making space for curiosity and purpose. Now, with that in mind, I want you to explore the things on your calendar that don't necessarily increase your happiness or feel deeply connected to your purpose, but that you know you need to get done, right? Those might be particular meetings you need to attend or particular committee work that you're leading or that you're assigned to, or maybe even projects. Can you reframe that work through this definition of self-care as a way of investing in your future self? Where can you take the things that you already have to do and use them to make space for your curiosity and your purpose? So for example, you might ask, 
What could you be curious about that will help you draw closer to your future self? What questions can you ask? In what spaces can you ask them? Whom can you ask? Where can you use curiosity throughout your day to help get you where you're trying to go? Or you might think about the purpose that motivates your future self. Where does that purpose show up in your calendar? I want you to be fierce with the places where it shows up. I want you to hold them close and protect them. I also want you to explore what's on your calendar that doesn't feel purposeful, but could be enriched if you were able to infuse it with your driving purpose. So look at what's already scheduled. Look at the things you're already going to do and ask how you could do them differently if you brought to that work the intentionality and purpose that brings you closer to your future self. So I'll give you a personal example. Um, And this is of a failure, right? So I once served on a committee that I found deeply frustrating. I know, such a shocker, right? I found this committee deeply frustrating. And so I kind of gave up on trying to contribute to it. But I can tell you, giving up is not the legacy I intend to leave behind. When I think back to that committee, I think, what a lost opportunity that the people I worked with on that project had the experience of me as kind of stepping aside. That's not even how I want people to think of me. But they do, and that's legitimate. It's what I gave them. So if I were to serve on that committee today, I think I would take this practice and rethink how I could have contributed to and engaged in the work differently instead of sitting through the meetings and feeling drained and demoralized, which is how I felt, and recognizing that that was not investing in my future self. I could totally revisit that work and take better care of myself by participating in the committee's work through the lens of my own purpose and vitality. I have some ideas about what I would do, but um, it's hard to share them without being particular about the committee. And so to protect other people's privacy, I won't do that. But that's the sort of thing I want to encourage you to think about. And I'm encouraging you to think about this because odds are you're going to have things on your calendar that you don't enjoy and that you need to do. So first, if you can get those activities off your schedule, fantastic, do that. But if you're like most of us and you can't, I want to encourage you to rethink the ways you participate in the work by investing in your future self, by participating now in the kinds of self-care that will be generative and creative and bring your sense of purpose to the fore. Okay, there's one more calendar assignment. I want you to look at your calendar and ask yourself how you could build in recurring time to review your calendar with these same questions in mind. So for example, do you have a time when you review and prepare for your day or your week? I do that the night before, right? So that would be my time, my daily review, when I would stop and ask these questions about my purpose and my vitality and think about how I could bring that into the spaces that might otherwise feel draining. But perhaps you don't have a daily review practice. Perhaps you have something that's more focused on a kind of teaching schedule. So is there a time, maybe in the weeks before a semester or quarter or your term begins, when you map out that full term? Could you incorporate this practice into that mapping and ask yourself about those activities over the course of a semester? Or maybe you have a regular journaling practice that you could use to reflect on how you're investing in your future self. Any existing practice you have that gives you a chance to ask these questions about where you can infuse your purpose into work in order to increase your vitality because that's a form of self-care and a form of investing in the future self you're trying to create. Any place where you can do that, I want you to give it a shot. And my hope for you is that you'll do this and you'll do it more than once. So thinking back to Ruark's notion of what we accumulate the work and outputs we accumulate, we're kind of like compound interest. We see exponential growth. 
which is why we get to burnout. If we accumulate outputs of projects that rely on external validation, we end up racing to the final outcome, which is being overwhelmed and burned out. But if we accumulate ways of being that are sustaining, enriching, and generative, we instead make the impact and create our legacy exponentially faster. You'll get to your future self faster and with greater purpose and daily joy. We know we get better at what we practice. We know this. We teach this. Why not practice investing in your future self through self-care? Invest in yourself, my friends. You are so worth it. So that's the main idea I want you to carry with you from this episode. You deserve to reap the rewards of the compound interest that comes from investing every day in your future self. And you can do this by changing your practices to build purpose and intention into all of your work. Start a little bit at a time. Choose one place. Choose one committee. Choose one task. Choose one project. Ask yourself, how can you show up for that work? and bring your purpose and vitality to it, because that's good for you. Okay, and as I wrap up this episode, I also want to offer up a small gift, which is also a little bit of a teaser for an episode coming later this fall. If your investment in your future self includes writing, and you'd like to incorporate an easy daily writing practice into your life, consider signing up for the Tiny Sabbatical Project, which is hosted by Shelley Roeder and Sarah Moore-Noakes. The Tiny Sabbatical Project is a 10-minute seasonal reset that will gently nudge you toward more focused and productive days. You'll get daily prompts for 14 days, giving you more focus on what's important and more well-being while you do it. You can find the Tiny Sabbatical Project easily by Googling it. You can also find it at Shelly's website, which is www.shellyroder.com. And I'm going to drop a direct link to enroll in the Tiny Sabbatical Project, which is free in the show notes. I mean, it's hard to turn down a free daily nudge to help you be more focused and productive, right? So give that some thought. And that's it, my friends. This week's thoughts on how and why you deserve the health and vitality that comes from investing in your future self. As I'm looking ahead to this fall, I have my eye on the November elections. I'm dedicating several episodes in October to exploring topics like a university's role in educating citizens who can disagree and dissent, how what we teach and how we teach it prepare students to be active participants in a healthy democracy, the role of disagreement and academic freedom for faculty and staff on a college campus, and a question I've been obsessed with since the 2016 election season. What do women leaders on college campuses believe their role is in educating for democracy? I have some great guests lined up. I'm so excited to share their perspectives and stories, and I cannot wait to share this with you. Meanwhile, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of The Uplift, the podcast dedicated to elevating and amplifying women's leadership in higher education. Take a moment to follow. You can find me over on Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find all previous episodes with transcript, show notes, and links at my website, www.theclariogroup.com. And hey, I see you with your phone open. Come connect with me on social. You can follow the Clario Group on LinkedIn or Facebook. You can also just follow me and you'll see all the Clario Group content. And once you've followed, please drop me a DM to say hi. I'd like to know you're there. All right, that's it. I will see you next week, same time, same place, for the next episode of The Uplift. 
Bye for now.